0: It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, How will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, If the thing does not come about or come true that is the thing which the lord has not spoken the prophet has spoken it presumptuously you shall not be afraid of him very confusing time that we're living in everyone is telling us what to do how to be healthy how to avoid illness how to worship safely what course our nation should be taken and now as we very slowly begin to emerge out of this pandemic, we're hearing people telling us what we should have done, you know, everything that was wrong that was done. And they're all experts. They all claim to know what they're speaking about and they don't agree with each other. The question is, who should we listen to? Who do you listen to? It makes you wish sometimes that there was prophets of God in our land like in the olden days, you know. And they would say, thus saith the Lord, and we would know exactly what the truth is. Except when you read the Bible, you see it wasn't that simple even back then. Because even then, there were false prophets. People who came in the name of the Lord, but they were untrustworthy. And our text points to that. So how do you decide who to listen to? Sometimes it's just very simple things, you know, which recipe is the best? You may even have been fooled about that. Sometimes it's about serious things like how to avoid getting a virus that could have deadly effects on me or on those I love. And sometimes it's about things that are far more crucial than that, even though our nation and maybe the world considers it far less essential, which is how do I guard the health of my soul and how do I find out about life which is eternal? Who do we listen to? We have various groups of people we listen to. Some we listen to because they come to us with great wisdom and experience. Maybe we call them experts. Others come to us because they've mastered a field of knowledge. Maybe they have insight into how God's laws work in nature. We call them scientists. Others come and they claim to speak for God. And the Bible calls them prophets. So we have various people who call us to listen to them should we listen to them all should we listen to all experts or all scientists or all who claim to be prophets so in this text there are two tests two tests that we should apply and i'm going to look at these tests in the form of two questions i'm not saying these are the only tests in fact on wednesday i'd like to look at another test from the book of deuteronomy which is critical but here's the two tests the first is this Do I want to hear the truth? And the second test is, are they telling me the truth? Do I want to hear the truth? Are they telling me the truth? So the first test, it's chapter 18 in Deuteronomy. I'm going to look at verse 14 and 15. Really is the test of checking your hearing. Do I want to hear the truth? Our attitudes are formed by the culture around us. That's what verse 14 is saying. For those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. We are formed by our culture without even knowing it. God warns his people not to fall into the same pattern as those around us. Why? Why does God warn his people? Because it's human nature to do this. We absorb the values. We absorb the culture of those around us without even knowing it. It just soaks into us. There's people who can sleep through the night even though there's a loud noise, as long as the loud noise is regular. You know, like a train rumbles by. It doesn't wake them if it's at the same time every night. In fact, they wake up if it doesn't show up. So they sleep through those noises, but... If early in the morning someone is singing sweetly outside their window, they'll be irritated and angry and they'll wake up, they'll slam the window shut, they'll put the pillow over their head and try to get back to sleep. Some things are just in the background. We don't even hear them. We're not even aware of them, but they're still there. We don't know what's happening, and yet our culture is influencing us. That's what happened with the Israelites. I know this warning is there, but... The Israelites, as you read the rest of the history, did adopt the practices of the nations around them. They got very comfortable with strange and idolatrous worship. They adopted immoral lifestyles. They began to form political strategies which ignored the prophets of God and, in fact, denied faith and trust in God. So they did all these things. In fact, they were irritated. They were irritated when the prophets spoke and told them to go against the grain of their upbringing, their tradition, the cultures that were around them. Some of the prophets they ignored, others they beat up. They didn't want to hear things because it was against what they believed. So the first test is, do you want to hear the truth? Test your hearing. Remember, Jesus quoted this. He quoted the prophet Isaiah. He says, you have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. Why? Because you don't want to hear. So that's the first test. Do you want to hear? Do we want to listen to something that's different than what we already believe? It's a scary test, by the way. Different than what we already believe. We're influenced by our culture in ways that we don't realize. Study after study, by the way, shows that, for example, we listen to news sources if they confirm what we already believe. If they confirm, for example, our own politics, and that's true on the left as well as the right, no difference. Our friends and coworkers, they influence our values. We tend to adopt the values of those that we hang out with. The music, the films, the social media, all of that influences who we are. So that's what verse 14 is talking about. Now I know there it talks about witchcraft and diviners. Let's not get to the point of dismissing that verse and saying, well, I don't do witchcraft. I'm not into sorcery. That's not what it's talking about. We have to understand that these were just part of the cultures. They didn't say, let's do something really wicked and awful. These were just the way that they were brought up. These were part of the way they celebrated life together. These were their festivals. These are the ways they spend their days. Kind of like You know, we eat hot dogs on the 4th of July, or we watch football. This was just part of their culture. And they just accepted these things as good and right and true. And sometimes when things are just part of our culture, we don't even think about them. When I was a young boy, I think around 10 years old in India, we celebrated a Hindu holiday called Holi, H-O-L-I. Now, When I was a boy, I had no idea what the holiday was about. None of my Hindu friends then knew what it was about. In fact, I ask Hindu friends now what it's about. They still don't know, but man, is it ever fun. You know what you do? Imagine how much fun it is for kids. Imagine your kids doing this. You get colorful powder, brightly colored powder, or you get syringes full of dye, brightly colored dye, and you can squirt it or throw it on anybody you want. Everybody is fair game. What fun! Who would say, I don't want to do that? So we weren't celebrating anything religious, we were just having a lot of fun on that day. And that's, I think, sort of an innocent way of adopting something without thinking about it. But sometimes it's not so innocent, and we still just absorb the values of our culture when it comes to marriage and romance or education or goals in life or the way we spend our money, or leisure activities. It's just part of the air that we breathe. And So that's what verse 14 is talking about. And so it says in verse 14, do not listen to them. They listen to all these things. It says in 14, God doesn't allow you to, but then notice the contrast in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your countrymen, you shall listen to him. There's some we don't listen to, some we do listen to. The question is, do we want to listen? Are we willing to go against the grain? It's very hard. Even when you look at what's happening on the news these days, it's very hard to go against what we've been told repeatedly. It's very hard to go against tradition. It's very hard to go against our own political views. Even if that's where the truth lies. Can I just illustrate these very briefly? It's hard to go against what we've been told. We're blinded if we've been told something over and over. Have you ever heard this? Hot water freezes faster than cold water. Now, I heard this when I was in grad school studying physics because people would write in and ask, why is it that hot water freezes faster than cold water? And then I heard it several years ago at the chapel because the hot water pipe leading to the sanctuary for heating froze and it burst. You know, there's water coming out of the ceiling and we called a tech and he came in Monday. He says, well, of course, it's because hot water freezes faster than cold water and it froze. Now, if you think about it for a moment, it's ridiculous. I mean, if you put a pan of hot water, put a pan of cold water in your freezer, you really think the hot water is going to freeze faster? And if you think about the pipe that burst, I won't bore you now, but There's a much better explanation for why it happened the way it happened. Sometimes when we're told something over and over, we accept it as true. See, can we hear the truth if it's contrary to what we've been told? Sometimes it's traditions. Something has been established for millennia, and of course that's the way you do it. It happens, for example, in medicine. It's hard to imagine for us now that bloodletting, was an established method of treating illness. And not just in a short period of time, but you look at it, it was true for millennia and in many cultures, and for differing reasons. So for example, in the US, Benjamin Rush, a doctor, a signer of the Declaration of Independence, believed in bloodletting. In the year 1793, there was a yellow fever outbreak in Philadelphia, and so Benjamin Rush had the cure. He says that a quart of blood taken from a patient and repeated over several days would be the prescribed cure. A few years later, George Washington got very ill. He had fever, cough, runny nose, and labored breathing. And so the best doctors in the land rushed to help him. I know you're thinking, I wish they hadn't come, but they rushed to help him and of course Bleeding was the prescribed remedy. Over the course of approximately a day, if you can imagine, they took a total of 2.4 liters of blood out of him. That's 40% of his total blood volume. Surprisingly, the next day, George Washington died. People still argue about whether that killed him or not, but it couldn't have helped. I think we'd agree. Sometimes a tradition is so well-established that you think, of course that's the way to do it. And you can't hear the truth. And sometimes our politics are so firmly believed that we can't understand how anything could be contrary to that. Even science falls prey to political pressure. Somebody said, if you mix politics with science, you end up with politics. (laughs) That's exactly true. I thought of a scientist named Lysenko who was a biologist in the Soviet Union. In the 1930s, he was put in charge of their whole agricultural program. Lysenko didn't believe in genetics, for example, which was fairly well established by that time. But his theories seemed to be in harmony with Marxist thought, and the leaders championed him because of that, and they gave him great authority, put him in charge of all the agricultural practices in the Soviet Union. So they were Put into practice he did experiments which failed over and over and yet he kept going because his politics blinded him even to the truth of his own experiments and the result was widespread crop failures famine and hunger in the soviet union we're easily blinded by what we think is true and so this is the test are we willing to hear the truth even if it's not what we're comfortable with Am I willing to hear? Tradition, prejudice, what we've been heard can keep us from hearing the truth. And here's where it's so important. And here's where it affects our friends and our neighbors. It keeps us from hearing the truth about Christ. It even keeps us from giving Jesus a fair hearing. He's dismissed out of hand. It happened right in the Gospels. You know, the people in Jerusalem, cosmopolitan people looked down on Galilee in the north. And so you read in the Gospels, they said, can any prophet come from Galilee? Nah, not possible. Dismiss him. They looked at Jesus and they said, well, what he's saying is contradicting all the traditions of the wisest rabbis. How can he be right? How arrogant. And look, he eats with con men and he eats with prostitutes. He can't be holy. How can he be even a prophet of God? So the prejudices, the things that they thought they knew, kept them from even giving Jesus a fair hearing. To say nothing of the fact that he challenged their comfort, their power, their position that they had gained from Rome. How can he be true? So these things blinded them. In fact, they couldn't even read the Bible. It blinded their very reading of the Bible. So Jesus would repeatedly say, have you not read? Have you not read? Meaning, go back and read more carefully. You're not understanding what the text itself is. Is saying, Matthew 15, he says, your traditions, the things that you are sure are true, are actually making void the word of God. It's actually robbing the word of God of its power, what it's trying to teach you. Do we want to hear? That's the first test. Do we want to hear the truth if it goes against our lifestyle, our chosen way of living, if it goes against our traditions and our politics? Do we want to hear the truth? So that brings me to the second test that is in our text, Are they telling me the truth? Are they telling me the truth? It's a good question. We have to test their claims. And so, verse 21 and 22, you may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? It's a good question. How can we know which is the faker? And here's the answer, 22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, That is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. In that case, it says, you shall not be afraid of him. How will we know? Well, the prophet makes a short-term prediction. I love this. How do we know we're telling the truth? Well, tell us something that's gonna happen, not in 100 years Canada will be under 50 feet of ice. Well, that sounds good, but the prophet is gonna be dead and gone, and there will be no way to tell if he is really a true prophet. But you have to have a prediction that can be tested in the lifetime of the prophet. And if it doesn't come about, he's fake, and you ignore him. That's what it means. So it's a simple test. It's a very reasonable test, isn't it? A first step. He claims to tell the future. Let's see if it happens. Use this toothpaste. In two weeks, your teeth will be whiter. Well, let's try it. See if it happens. Here's a vaccine. It'll prevent you from getting... COVID-19? Well, let's try it. So in the UK right now, they're recruiting 10,000 healthcare workers to try out a new vaccine to see if it works. You see, that? that's how you do it. You do a test. You experiment to see if the claim is true, and you test it on its own merits, what it's actually claiming. If the prediction does not come true, then the prophet is not from the Lord. That's what it means to say, don't be afraid of him. It means don't waste your time on him. Ignore him. It's fake. Just notice, by the way, how foolish it is to talk about blind faith. Sometimes you hear people saying this, you know, if you want to be a Christian, you have to turn your mind off. You know, you're asking too many questions. And yet, you see here that faith is not blind at all. It's based on reason and evidence. And you see it not just here, but you see it throughout the scriptures. I think, and I'm getting away from my topic here for a moment, but I think this is one reason we have trouble sharing our faith because we haven't realized that it's also, not alone, but it's also based on reason and evidence. So our text is saying any claim has to be tested on its own merits. There's predictions that seem very powerful at first, but we have to think about them, analyze them. I remember as a young boy, I think I was 10 years old, This fortune teller came to the edge of our yard and he asked to see my hand. He said, ah, you are going to go to America. I said, oh, that's amazing. But it's foolish, of course. You know, who's going to believe some guy? Well, so a year passed and it turned out our family was going to America. And at that point, I remembered that fortune teller and I thought, amazing, that guy really was telling the truth. Fortunately, my parents pointed out something that was obvious to anybody else, that There was a lot of people in India that wanted to go to America and he undoubtedly told everybody that they were going to America because it's what they wanted to hear. So I wasn't going to go to him and say, oh prophet of God, tell me what else is going to happen because the prophecy, you might say, the prediction had no merit on its own. Don't waste your time on him. Some predictions, for example, are not absolute predictions they are probabilities, and we're hearing a lot of those kinds of predictions these days, aren't we? A recent flu vaccine, I think a year ago, was it, claimed to be 60% effective. Now, if you got the vaccine and then you got the flu, you couldn't say, oh, man, it's all fake, that vaccine doesn't work at all. No, because you could have been one of those 40% of people for whom it didn't work. You have to test things on their own merits. When hurricanes come, you know, hurricane season is about to come, when hurricanes start to come, you see all these models predicting where it's going to land. And some of them start out two weeks ahead of time, one week ahead of time, and they get more accurate as the time goes on. But they, in the beginning, some are saying it's going to go to Louisiana, some say it's going to go to North Carolina. But they're giving probabilities, and that's all you can ask of them. And so you test them in terms of what they're claiming. So here's two examples from the Scripture. One, Moses himself. You see, he applied this principle to himself, or I should say God did. One of the most amazing predictions in the book of Exodus is the ten plagues. Moses went to Pharaoh, and he predicted what was going to happen. It says, if you read the book of Exodus, that he told Pharaoh so that you may know that the Lord, he is God. He wanted to prove a point. It's interesting that the first two plagues were duplicated by the magicians of the Pharaoh. The water turned into blood. Magicians said, easy. I can make water look red. And then the frogs appearing out of the water. Easy, we can do that. But they couldn't get rid of the frogs. So all these frogs came out and Pharaoh asked his magicians, okay, tell them to go away, but the magicians couldn't do it. So then there was a very specific prediction that came about. In Exodus chapter eight, Pharaoh called Moses in and he says, oh, I can't take these frogs anymore. Sure, sure, your people can go. Just get rid of these frogs. And then Moses said something very interesting. 9 through 12, Exodus chapter 8. He says, okay, which day do you want them to go away? Not just, oh yeah, eventually they'll go away. No, he says, which day? And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. And as you read, that's exactly what happened. And in verse 10 it says, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord. A very specific prediction. And by the way, the rest of the plagues seem to be almost like a controlled experiment. The population of Egypt was divided into two groups. You know how medical trials have the group that takes the medicine and the group that takes the placebo. The nation of Egypt was divided into those who trusted in the Lord and those who did not trust in the Lord. And for the rest of the plagues, very interestingly, Those who did not trust in the Lord suffered those plagues. Those who did trust in the Lord did not suffer those plagues. What's the difference? It's those who trust in the Lord. It was drawing attention to the Lord who is God indeed. Test their words. Did it happen as they claimed it would? But not just Moses. I think an even more remarkable example is in the New Testament. Not just Moses. Moses. This test applies to experts, applies to those who tell you how to live your life and counsel you. It applies to scientists. It applies to everybody, including prophets. But this is also what confirms our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in chapter 18, verse 15, there's a long-range prophecy made. Did you see this? The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You should listen to him. A prophet is coming. Yeah, there's going to be many prophets. In fact, 20 and 21 says, test them to make sure they're real. So there's going to be many prophets. But then someone remarkable, someone like me. And if you read the very last verses of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, 10 through 12, there's almost like an editorial summary about Moses. It says there was no one like Moses. No one. None of the other prophets were like Moses. Why? Because he spoke to God face to face. He performed signs and wonders and displayed great power. There's no one like him until the coming of the Messiah. Someone else was going to come, the Messiah. He was going to be from the Israelites. You see, it says, from your countrymen. And he'd be like Moses. Listen to him. So when you turn to the New Testament in Acts chapter 3, for example, this prophecy is applied to the Lord Jesus. Well, did Jesus pass this test, you know, making a claim and then testing to see if the claim comes true? Well, he did. And one spectacular prediction in particular. He predicted that he would rise from the dead and he predicted it repeatedly. This was not a vague prediction. He wasn't saying, I predict that the sun will rise tomorrow. It wasn't even a prediction that somebody who's astute could have made. I predict that my enemies are going to arrest me. No, he said in several places I will be arrested, I will be scourged, I will be crucified, the manner of death is predicted, and that on the third day I will rise again from the dead. Very specific prediction and you know what? It happened. I checked it out, I hope you'll check it out. It happened. That's why I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's why We listen to his word. We believe him. That's why his closing words were a command. Go into all the world and teach everyone to observe what I have commanded. In other words, tell them to listen to my words. I am the prophet that Moses prophesied about. I've passed the test. So friends, here's what I'm saying. Our God is a God of truth, so God's people have to be lovers of truth. We have to be lovers of truth. Even if it hurts, we have to be lovers of truth. And so here's the two tests. We ask, do I want to hear the truth? It may be painful. It may require changes in me. It may require changes in my thought and my life. But it will ultimately, because I trust God, it will ultimately bring health to my body, soul, and mind. I know that. Do I want to hear the truth? And then we ask, using God's word, Using reason and sound judgment, we ask, am I being told the truth? May God grant the prayer in Proverbs 30, verse 7, for all of us. Keep deception and lies far from me. And may the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, keep you mind and heart in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, open the eyes of our heart, I pray. Open the eyes of our mind, we pray, so that we can see truth, especially truth that we're blind to because of our prejudices, our traditions, our beliefs, especially truth, Lord, about you and your will for our lives and how we are to live to glorify you and honor you and enjoy the fullness of your blessings. Open our eyes, Lord, we pray. In your holy name, amen. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. When he talked about truth, He didn't mean just factually true, but he meant he was trustworthy, reliable, steadfast. So that's my prayer, that as you follow Jesus, who is the way, as you seek him who is truth, may his life blossom in your heart and in your mind and in your body. God bless you.